This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. But several things with the Yankees that I want to talk about. First of all, (laughs) how hot is this team? I mean, Brian and Tom are doing pillowettes in the studio because of the way this team has performed. I mean, they just keep winning and winning and winning, and the pitching just gets better and better and better. I mean, have you even noticed that uh, Aroldis Chapman hasn't been available? Have you even noticed that? Have you even noticed that Giancarlo Stanton hasn't been in the lineup? Have you even noticed? I mean, Rizzo's hitting shots. Judge is hitting shots. I mean, the ball's leaving the yard like crazy. Jordan Montgomery hopes that he can get some more wins, some more runs today like he did in his last outing (laughs) against the Angels. But this is the thing I want to find out from you guys. First of all, Yankee fans, I got to talk to you. 1-800-919-3776. Help me out. Yankees are on Peacock. This looks weird to me. It, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, can I get yes? I'm good with yes. Prime Video, decent, does a nice job. Prime Video does a nice job. Peacock, I, I'm, I, I, that's number one that I got to get Peacock. Okay, that's number one. Number two, what time did this game start? 10 a.m.? Am I, am I in Vegas? I mean, this game has been, this, they're the bottom of the second inning. Top of the second inning. When the game started, 11.30? What are we doing? I mean. 11.45, Larry. 11.45. Uh, yeah, because I was watching it when DJ LeMayo was at bat. Well, no, you're right. It was 11.30. Had to, yeah, 11.30. I, mean, I, I must be tired from last night. I'm sorry, Larry. No, it's okay. Nobody knows what time it is. People are turning in. People are going to tune in at 1. And it's going to be, what, fifth inning? They don't want to know what's going on. I'm you know, the peacock. And look, I understand that baseball understands that the future of the sport growing and attracting younger folks, and I've got young folks in the studio with me, so they'll tell you, is going streaming. It's the streaming way to go. It's not just yes. I mean, you know, the the the, the regular baseball fan who will find the Yankees, they're going to love, loves baseball. They're going to yes. They're going to SNY. They're going to Fox. They're going to ESPN Sunday night baseball. They know where to go to get their baseball. Okay. They're going to, they know where to go. Those, those, those those are the cable folks. Okay. They know what's up. The streaming folks tend to be younger, right? And so that's what they're experiencing going on streaming. And so me who, Recently cut the cable ties. Don't look at me like that, Brian. Yes, I am streaming. Wow. And so, and so, yep, I am. And so now, after finding apps all over the place and trying to get them, I just couldn't do it anymore. I mean, the cable, oh, I'm not even going to tell you what the bill was. But for, for, for the app, so now I'm, I'm in the, you know, streaming, streaming and searching. It, it's kind of like going back to learning how to type. Hunt and peck. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to find out. Okay, 
Peacock is where I got what I got to get a I got to get a, 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 a trial before I decide. So I'm I'm just I'm torn. It's Apple Plus, it's Peacock, it's Prime Video. This is the wave of the future. And oh by the way, ESPN stuck their toe in the water too with a lot of NHL games during the season on ESPN Plus. Right? We have to stream to get those. If this is the future, ladies and gentlemen. It's and I'm gonna take you back. It is just like the future years ago when all your NBA final games were either on two, four, or seven, depending on who had the contract, right? Nobody dreamed that a TNT would have championship games or an ESPN would have championship games, that you would have cable games up till you get to a certain spot, okay? And then a certain level of the postseason, and then we're going to network where everybody can see it. Well, things are changing. So I want to get your thoughts about Peacock, how you're streaming, how you're dealing with that at 1-800-919-3776. Also, I got to be honest. I was a little surprised to see that Miguel Andujar has requested a trade. Now, not that he doesn't have the right to. I get that. I understand that. He wants to play. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I respect a player who's like, you know what? I'm wasting my time here. I want the opportunity to perform. I want to play. I'm not here just trying to steal money. I want to earn my money. That's what I want to do. And I just don't see a spot for him in this Yankee lineup, even with injuries. Because the, repla- the, the players he's replacing are going to come back. And this is weird. Because, and I know it's been, what, 2018? When he and Otani were battling for Rookie of the Year. And many thought he should have gotten it. But because of the uniqueness of Otani's talent of pitching and playing in the outfield, the nod was given to him. Even though Anduar had a very representative season. So I get that. I, I understand how you know folks were a little beside themselves, but because of injury, he's just not been able to make it back into this lineup. And he's done everything yet. They've asked him. He learned how to play the outfield. He does a very credible job in left field now. So give him credit. He's done everything that he's been asked. And now he wants the opportunity to go where he knows he's going to be able to play every day. And so I, I respect his request. I'm a little surprised, but I respect his request. And the reason why I'm surprised is because two reasons. A, it's not like he's hitting 400 since he's been in the lineup. All right? So you're trading really at pennies on the dollar for him because you're not really sure what he has. If he was able, if he was consistently hitting and just performing well on in relief of Stanton or Gallo, whoever's been in left field, all right, then that's a different story, okay? But he really hasn't, so that's number one. Number two is Yankees are winning. This is usually not the time where you start to uh, be that person that kind of 
derails what's going on, right? Normally everything's moving. Okay, the team is winning. Let's, if I have some issues, we'll talk about it later. Right now the team is winning. I'm part of a winning team and we're good. So that's normally how it goes. So I'm a little surprised, not at the request, but the timing of the request. Once again, A, because he's not really hitting the cover off the ball, and B, the team is winning. The team is rolling. You don't want to be that distraction when the team is performing well. You just don't. That's not what you want to do. You want to be just riding along, just having fun, just smoothly dealing with it, right? Not a distraction. Don't, don't, don't want to be noticed. Just go out there, do your job, when, and do the best you can when you've been able to hit and when you've been asked to play. And that's what you know, I was hoping that's what would happen. But listen, once again, I respect the fact that he wants out of here because he wants to prove he wants to have a chance to play every day. Spike is in St. Pete. Hello, Spike. How are you on 987 ESPN? I'm terrific. I got my family back. So, Great. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a long time, but uh, well, everyone's uh, feeling much better. So That's just helping thing. them unpack and say, I got to call Larry. Oh, call Larry, of course. <laughs> you know? uh, listen, uh, I was talking to Tom. I had a fish around. They, you know, they, 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 a Peacock and Apple TV. You know, I, what I have is YouTube TV. They, mm-hmm. What they did is they know they made a, a, a plan here, and they're putting it back, and it's going to wind up people going to go back to one company eventually when they all merged. Do you agree? Yeah, they probably will. Yeah. 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 yeah this is, you know, I, I get a notice. The game starts 1130. What's going on there? You know, I, I just don't know. But anyway, the Rangers are playing about 10 minutes away. And if mm. it wasn't today and, you know, things weren't so special with everyone coming back, I, I thought about it and then $300 to get into the building. And that thought went away quickly. You know? <laughs> and I don't mean the manual. So, uh, yeah, I just think the Rangers uh, are playing really good hockey, yeah. and Tampa Bay does not look as good as Carolina looked. I'm not the biggest hockey fan, as you know, mm-hmm. but I check in during the playoffs. But I have one quick uh, uh, baseball, and it's good to hear you as always. Did you ever expect the Yankees pitching to be this good? No. No, I didn't think so. And no. Alonso was on par to get 190 runs back then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he, he's I know. Last question. Uh, uh, I'll throw this at you. My buddy, the other beaver, asked, asked Larry when you talk to him. Mm-hmm. If Boston, if if Golden State allows Boston in transition to play the way they're playing defensively, Golden State's going to lose. If they play half court, Golden State's going to win. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I think so. I really do. Mm-hmm. I, because, and thanks for the phone call, Spike. Because, mm-hmm. and we'll talk with Alan Hahn about it a little bit more at the bottom of the hour. But I do think that that's not, that's not what helps Golden State, but it definitely helps Boston because Boston loves to go on in transition. It helps them set their offense up quickly. It helps Tatum and Brown make decisions to look for other people that can help them, that can help the scoring. So that's what that does. And listen, the same thing with Golden State, right? That's why you're looking at Golden State in this half court and why you respect them and you love how they do their cuts and screens and how they move off situations. That's a great thing. So you know that they're going to be better tonight. That's A. B is the, Golden State's got to make shots because 
the fact that they shot so poorly in that fourth quarter allowed Boston to get the ball ahead on the break and just push the basketball where they weren't. You know, and I was watching Stephen A. after the game, and he referred to the fact that Golden State looked a little winded in that fourth quarter. They looked winded earlier in the game. And sometimes that's what rest does. Because despite what every coach tells you, mostly in the NFL, that you, you, you play like you practice, you don't. Especially not at this time of the year. Because you're not practicing hard. You're, just, everybody's hurt. Everybody's got some type of nagging injury. Okay, not enough to keep them out but enough to affect their performance. So you're not practicing. You're doing walkthroughs. You're doing shooting drills. You're doing. You're not doing practice where you're trying to figure out what defense is this and how do we do things like that. That's not what you're doing. You're doing walkthroughs. So when now you – plus, you don't have that emotional intensity at that spot. You don't because it's practice. Now, eventually, you know, as you get closer to the game and the games and stuff like that, yeah, it comes. But Golden State just looked out of it, especially in that fourth quarter. And it's weird to me, but it looked a little bit like, and I know Steph Curry had it going early, but he put up, and, and I, who am I to question shot selection from Steph Curry? But there were a couple of shots where it just looked like he, he knew he was hot and then he was just going to put it up. And then when he came back and wasn't as hot, he struggled. And the other thing that you notice is Klay Thompson is virtually back offensively. He is he is almost 100% back offensively. He's like 95% back offensively. But defensively, he's got some issues. And teams have kind of taken him off the dribble where he you couldn't do that with him before. And so that's the other part of his game that as he gets more and more, you know, make the adjustment and stuff, he's going to have to make some adjustments as well if that lateral movement doesn't come back uh, as quickly as it as he wants it to. Because you can see, crossover quick moves, he's trailing. He's not as, as great a defender as he's been in the past. But that is going to be an interesting game. And what was also interesting in game one was – how Boston cut down on their turnovers, but Golden State kind of went up on theirs. And that's been something that both teams have struggled with so far in this playoff. That's been the situation with turning the basketball over. Both of them have done so. And Boston a little big on the boards. So uh, I'm very curious to see what Steve Kerr has got up his sleeve because there was a stat I saw that he is not – trailed 2-0 in a postseason series since he's become head coach of the Warriors, that he has not lost two straight games in the postseason. So that's an amazing stat. It's an amazing stat. And we'll see how, what adjustments he's going to make to make sure that they don't go 2-0 tonight because that is a definite possibility. Listen, Boston's playing well. And, and I thought that the issue was going to be Boston defensively staying with the cuts and the screens from Golden State. Marcus Smart had no problem. They did a nice job uh, cutting off some of the angles with the cuts and screens. So uh, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen in that game tonight. Uh, not that – I still think it's going seven. I have Golden State winning. 
I think, no, I think I think I said six, right? No, so I have Golden State winning in six. So it's going to be a long series, anyway. It's not it's not going to be a sweep. I don't see it being a gentleman sweep of four or five games. I see it going six, and I wouldn't be surprised if it went seven. But the scary thing, if you're Golden State, is how you got wiped out in the fourth quarter. And Jason Tatum had, what, 13, 15 points? He had a bunch of assists, but he was not the scoring guy. And that's the concern. That's what Boston's been looking for in this postseason. And when they've gotten it, which is help from other than Tatum or Brown, because it's been rare where both of them have been on at the same time, but when they've been able to get others, be it Al Horford, be it Marcus Smart, be it players off the bench, Williams, when they've been able to get scoring from other folks, that's what's made Boston very, very tough. Alan Hahn. He was interesting when he joined us a couple of minutes ago, and he had some interesting thoughts about what the Knicks should do, about what the Celtics and what you can expect from them the rest of the series. And I don't know who he predicted would win the series. I can't, you know, I know he's a Knicks fan, but I'm not ready to say that he just out and out said there's no way Boston can win because clearly there's a way Boston can win. Boston's a very good basketball team, and nobody's trying to say they, that it isn't. But what's been real interesting is, you know, we are starting to see a, a difference in the Golden State Warriors, right, in their effectiveness, and that they really lean, when you think about this year, because of the issues they had the last couple of years with injuries and whatnot, they have leaned on their bench a lot. And their bench, because of that, has improved. And in game one, when they went to the bench, the bench didn't really respond as the way we are used to them seeing them respond. Now, once again, it was a much shorter bench. And, uh, you know, the porters and the pools, they have to perform better. They just do. And... Uh, you know, Wiggins has got to do a little better job scoring as well. And I tell you, the one thing that's, that's that's really tough because he is a gutty, gritty guy who's who just he does everything he can. And that's Kevin Looney. He does everything. Nine rebounds, you know, six off the offensive board. He gives you second chances, three blocks. He But he missed a couple of layups that you just can't do. You can't miss. But all in all, with all that, Warriors were still winning that game before the fourth quarter started. They went through a cold streak, and they allowed Boston to play their game and their up-tempo game and, and get the ball and pass the, and beat the beat the Warriors downfield, down court. The Warriors got beat by their own game. And I guarantee you, Jason Tatum will not go three of 17, one of five from three, and have 12 points. He had those numbers and was a plus 16 for the game because he had 13 assists. <laughs> that was the big reason. Back to the phones. Chris is in Wanta. He's next on 98.7. What's up, Chris? Larry, how's it going, man? Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you, my friend. What's up? Hey, I, I was calling because I was hoping I was going to get a little Allen on, but talking to you is just as fine. Before I get into the whole Knicks take, which I'm starting to hear the same thing I heard last offseason, I just want to make a quick comment on the finals because, like, everyone, I think everyone just – we're just going to play better defense because that's all the Celtics care about. They don't care how much you get up because as long as they play defense, they're going to keep it close enough. Mm -hmm. So we're just got to harass them on defense. You can't be playing Iggy. 
Iggy's old and he has he's been hurt. How's Kaminga not playing? That's just that's just yeah. a quick comment. Kaminga needs to be in this series. But I heard uh, you guys talking about the draft and moving up, and and Alan Alan's getting a little ESPN with with, with Bart Scott a little much, a little little hot takey. Um, listen, this is a young team, and every player that's young is in a role that's not their future role. Quigley's yet to start. Obi's yet to start. RJ's yet to become the first option. Sims isn't getting consistent minutes at center. McBride isn't playing. Grimes isn't getting enough minutes. We have a, we have draft picks. They just need to develop. We don't need to pay for Brunson. We need to sign a guy like Tyus Jones. We need to move Julius Randle. He's an, he's an addition by subtraction. And the players got to develop. The only way we're going to take a huge hump, a huge leap, is not by signing Jalen Brunson. It's not by trading some of our young talent for our potential talent in, in Ivory. It's about Thibs showing he can develop players the way he developed Jimmy and all these other players and forcing him to freaking figure it out because that's what this team needs. We need to develop the young guys like we should have done last year instead of freaking out and overpaying for Evan Fournier, signing Kemba, and all of these players, man. Like, all it is is about developing and letting the young guys reach their next role. And I think Obi and IQ proved, give them starting minutes, and we might have something. Just don't panic for once. Do it the well, right way. Well, Chris, I don't think they're going to panic this time. And thanks for the phone call and your passion. I enjoy it. And I'll, I'll just address a couple of things. First of all, when we talk about the young, the, the young players, um, Obi has shown signs. There's no question about it. Is he a starter in this league? I don't know yet. I don't know. I mean, his energy, what he brings to the table with extra minutes has been very noticeable. On the attempts that he started late in the game, late in the season last year, yeah, you saw some things that gave you a lot of hope. Now, if he was a bit more consistent mid-range game, uh, I know he can put the ball on the deck and get to the hoop. That's clear. He's great, great in, in transition. That's clear. If he's able to give me something mid-range jumper and not fall in love so much with the three, which I get, I understand this is a three-point shooter's league. I'm sorry, it's a three-point maker's league. But for me, I just I, I really need him. I just need him to show me more of the mid-range. For uh, IQ, I think he could be a guy with starters minutes that would show what he would bring to the table. Low concern with him defensively, all right? But I think he is a guy who also could because of his abilities offensively, could whoever is defending him, they would have to play defense on him too. So I think he's he's more of a two-way player where it's not going to be, well, okay, he, he, he he's not going to score, so it's really a liability. I think he will get better. I think he's fallen in love with that teardrop shot a little bit, and his shot selection could be reined in some, so I get it. Chris, here's the issue. Tom Thibodeau was not brought here to um, – he was not brought here to build a team with young folks. He was brought here to take them to the next level. And so that's why this is such an interesting pairing and why many of us really weren't sure that he was the right guy for a young team. Because, as you mentioned, uh, usually he's a guy that, that is a finishing guy. He's a guy that takes what you have to the next level and get you to the playoffs because of your defense, because of all the different things that his experience has brought to the table. Yeah, they did panic a little bit. They made the wrong move. They, the point guards they wanted were gone, apparently. They didn't want to, either they didn't want to spend money or they weren't available. 
And so they made a last-ditch effort and figured they would roll the dice and split the point guard situation with Derrick Rose, who was already here, who they gave a contract to, and Kimball Walker, and figured that, okay, between the two of them, we know that they have injury issue, issues, but between the two of them, we could split them up and we could have experience on the floor to open the game, experience on the floor to close the game, and we would sprinkle in some of the rookies in the middle. That didn't work out. So now the question is going to be, and we're all watching, what are the Knicks going to do? Are they going to try and sign Jalen Brunson? Are they going to try to package some young players and make a move and, and try to get an established player like a Donovan Mitchell? Not necessarily Donovan Mitchell, but like a Donovan Mitchell. So th that's what we're looking forward to see what this team is going to do. Tom and Brian and I were talking uh, earlier during one of the breaks. And Brian was talking about, as, as a Yankee fan, uh, what, that he enjoys Buckshaw Walters' press conferences. And he's the, the reason why you do, and I've covered a number of them, mostly when he was with the Orioles, is that he is easygoing. He gives you the information that you need. And he doesn't take himself seriously. He's seen everything. He's done everything. He's just he's just enjoying uh, the situation of having the opportunity and the pressure of possibly getting a, a team to the World Series and, and hopefully winning his first World Series. So that's what he's that that's his situation. Okay. Um, and even even last night when he was asked about pulling David Peterson. Now, Peterson allowed four runs in three and two-thirds innings, but only one was earned, and he struck out six. Left-handed gave up only two hits, but walked four and was at 90 pitches when Showalter pulled him after Betts lined that foul ball. I think it was down the left field line. So, listen, 90 pitches? I get why you pulled him. <laughs> I get it. Made sense to me. At four innings? I mean, stop. You know, that's, that's, that was going to be an issue. That was going to be an issue somewhere down the line. So he did the right thing. Uh, but th but that's what I and, – and what you enjoy about him as a Met fan is something that Yankee fans already know. And that is, quite frankly, that, hey, <laughs> he gets his teams prepared. They're, all, they're ready to go. You know what's happening. And he's got a really good he's got a really good team offensively. That's what you enjoy. And you know the team is going to be prepared. And you and there's not there's not a game that you're going to go into as a Met fan. Okay, there's not a game that you feel that your team is going to be outmanaged. You just don't think so. You just don't. And then that's Pete Alonzo, who is hitting and hitting and hitting the long ball. Got off to a slow start, but he is on a roll now. And he was asked after hitting home runs at Dodger Stadium this weekend what he likes about hitting at Chez Levine. I mean, it's, it's just uh, one of those historic parks, a lot of history here. And um, there's been a lot of really important names in the game of baseball that have played here and it's I mean for me it's just a it's an honor to play here and knowing 
all those type of names and, and people that, that came before me. It's it's really cool. So um, just to stand in the box and, and play. I mean, every big league field is, is a privilege, but because this is one of like the last historic parks, this is, this is really cool. 13th multi-home run game for Pete Alonzo. And what's really interesting is that he is already in the top 10 in Met history in home runs. And when you think about it, and I mentioned this point before, when you think about Met history, it's filled with what pitchers have accomplished, starters have accomplished. Okay, that's that, when you at the identity of this Met franchise has been great pitching, really good defense, and some hitting. <laughs> and some hitting. Not necessarily power hitting, not necessarily hitting for average, some hitting. Because team, you go back as long as you look at the go back to the Mets from '69 when they won the World Series forward, and they have always had a they've always had a representative starting staff, representative. And of course, there's been exceptions, not every single year, but they have had really good starting pitching, and they've had trouble scoring runs. And if you don't think so, ask what Jacob Degrom has gone through the past couple of years. Okay, with being the t- one of considered one of the top top pitchers in baseball, but not not having an overwhelming dominating record, wins and loss wise, because of the fact that the Mets don't score runs, didn't score runs for him. So it's so for Pete Alonso to be in the top ten in Met history in home runs tells you a lot about Pete Alonso, but it also tells you a lot about. The Met history in home runs. Here's his uh, comments on being in the top ten. Oh, that's sick! I didn't know that. Um, yeah, just just want to keep it going. You know, um, I feel like I've had a lot of success from from hard work and determination and executing my plan, and I just want to keep continuing to do that and doing whatever I can to stay healthy and, and be on the field and keep playing hard for uh, my teammates, coaches, and um, family and fan base. And Pete on bouncing back in the third inning. I mean, um, for us to, to come back, like I mean, we're we're a resilient bunch. We've been we've been super resilient all year, and uh, we pick each other up. And I I have some outstanding teammates that that pick me up. We had a a bunch of really high quality at bats, and I'm just really happy to uh, to deliver um, deliver and help my team. And it's been it's been really fun. I mean, my teammates have been awesome. I mean, today they they picked me up for sure. Big time, and I owe everyone a huge thank you. And that's what—that's the other thing about this team is that they are able to overcome. They're able to out-hit their mistakes. Okay, and whenever the pitching wasn't really good, they—they—they've come back, and that's what gives you, okay, the feeling that this season could be something special for the Mets. All right, you have that feeling because of the fact of, you know, coming back being seven, eight runs down against. Philadelphia, coming back against the Giants, having big comfort behind wins that are, you know, you, you just don't see every day, right? So, you know, that's something special. And it, it, when you've had seasons when that has been, you've been on the, not the winning end, but the losing end of those comebacks, right? When you've seen that over and over and over again, 
and you begin to say, man, we're snake bit. We're just not a good franchise. We just we just don't have enough players. We don't know how to win. We need a different manager. We need different talent. We need this. We need that. that that's the thought process that you have. And then now for you to have the talent to be able to overcome that. And now you're on the you're on the winning end of those situations where you've been on the losing end so long. You, it gives you a different feeling. Right. It gives you a different thought process about how things are going for you this year. And look, and even with the adversity that you've already faced with all the injuries, losing your top two starters, one you haven't even had, and then losing Max Scherzer. Then listening to Anita this morning, even even his dog is ready for him to get out. He bit him. Even his dog is ready for him to get back to work. All right, but but if you're the Mets, here's the thing. You don't have to rush these guys back. You're winning. You're not in a situation where, okay, we're down. We got to make a move. Maybe we'll take that chance. Maybe we'll push him. Maybe we'll see what happens. Let's see if we can get him back. Let's see if we can push the ground back earlier. Let's see what's going on with uh, Scherzer. Maybe we can get him back earlier. No, you, you don't have to do that because you're in a position right now where you are, you know, even though Atlanta's taking advantage of you being against the Dodgers and they've had Colorado, okay, you still have a big lead over Atlanta. Okay, you still do. And they're your closest team. Now, we'll see what happens with Philadelphia with the firing of, of Girardi uh, and, and Rob Thompson, who was his bench coach, interim for the rest of the year. Does the managerial change spark this club where they go on a run, where they win? eight out of 10 or something of that nature. I mean, I don't know. Offensively, they have the ability to do that. Pitching-wise and defensively, they don't. So how how will they respond? Immediately, they you got a big response out of them the day he was fired. I mean, you had, you had multiple home runs uh, from a couple of players in that lineup, right? Um, from Swarber and company. But that's the question. How how will how will pitch how will Philadelphia respond? I, if you're the Mets, all you have to do is continue to win series. That's it. And you heard Kay on the promo. And he's a thousand percent right. You beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and you go 500 minimum against the teams that are better than you, you're in good shape. You will be in really, really great shape. So that's what hopefully the Mets will do. And, um, you know, they have the opportunity to split, get a, earn a split in this series against the Dodgers with the win this afternoon. So hopefully that's what they'll be able to do. And even if they lose the series to the Dodgers, okay, you're not going to win every series. And the Dodgers are a really, really good team. And the difference in the series up until last night, the difference in the series was the fact that the Dodgers were hitting, the Met pitchers gave up more home runs. That's been the difference so far. Can I just tell you this? I am really, really enjoying watching this Rangers team in the postseason. And what I'm enjoying about it, and I know you guys are like, oh, here goes Larry again. Here we go. Let me, their eyes are rolling up in your head. And you're like, oh, let me let me go flip over the burgers because he's about to go in the little, little soapbox thing and whatnot. But it's true. It's the fact that the team is getting better because they're learning how to win and gaining confidence. Listen to the head coach, Coach Gallant. 
on how the team is getting better in the playoffs. Buying in. you got to pay a price to win games in the playoffs. And I think if you looked at our team since probably game four, game five of the Pittsburgh series, we block a lot more shots. We finish a lot more hits. We play the game the right way a lot more. And uh, that's, that's how you win in the playoffs. And they're learning. And they learn through adversity. And listen, like I said before, nobody wants to be down in the series. That's not how you want to learn. <laughs> you want to be down 3-1. It's not what you want. What you want to do is go out there and, and win. You want to be in the position they're in now, up to love, having done what they're supposed to do at home, right, and getting ready to go on the road and try to steal one. That's the role you want to be in. And that's what they've been able to do because they've learned how to win. They found ways to get uh, experience. They found ways to get through the adversity, and they built their confidence. And now they're in the situation where they faced, which is which, you don't realize how important this is, to face different types of defenses and be able to solve them. Now, I don't know if Tampa has changed the way they've played since the regular season. Doesn't look like it because the Rangers are moving around the ice with a lot more freedom than they did against Carolina. Okay, a lot more freedom. And I get that Carolina's a little better defensive team. And I'm not just going to, you know, make judgment on Tampa because this is a back-to-back defending champion. Okay, so this series is not over. All right? And it could turn on a dime. And you respect the champion, especially, you respect the champion, especially a back-to-back champion, which Tampa is. But the first two games, and Tampa played better in game two, and it was a closer game, and it's probably more like the series will be a little bit closer. I think that's the tone that the game will, will have. But once again, there's a little strategic things that you'll keep an eye out on. And Don will talk about that with you at the top of the hour. Coach Gallant was asked if he's noticing the team breaking records and streaks in this run. No, we just, I mean, it's, uh, I say it all the time. It's just, it's a, it's a huge game for us. It's a huge win for us. But we just get ready for the next one. I mean, it's in the past behind us. We know what we're doing with the good, with, you know, playing a real good team like Tampa. And, you know, to play the way we played the last two games, that's the way we're going to have to play to win the series. And uh, we want to battle hard. We want to compete hard. And we've been a tough out so far. And that's how, how the guys got to rally around that. But, uh, you know, I think we're a good hockey team. We, we played great hockey in the playoffs. And, you know, we find a way to win games. And it's all about, like I said, the next game is the most important one now this one's over and it's a good feeling but the next one's a big one the next one is the big one that's the that's the momentum changer that tampa is going to be aggressive Tampa. here's what the rangers know tampa's going to come out the way the rangers came out when they were down at home all right they're going to be more physical they're going to be more aggressive they're going to be they're going to chase the puck they're going to be they're going to put pucks on the net the rangers have to be ready mentally and physically for the energy that they're going to face from this Tampa team because Tampa understands they can't go down 3-0. Can't. Can't go down 3-0. The likelihood of them sweeping this Ranger team four straight in four straight games, not uh, virtually not happening. Virtually. 
Mika Zibanejad had a big goal in game two. Coach Gallant says this is why it's important. So it was huge. It was a big goal, obviously, in any game. We knew they were going to push real hard, and uh, you know we held on a little bit there, a little bit too much for me. But anyway, we battled, we found a way, and we're playing against a real good team over there. And again, they they pushed it, and we made some key saves at the end to keep it 3-2. Obviously, Sabanajad's goal, making it 3-1, was huge, huge, because it allows you to have a little cushion. Okay, and as it turned out, they needed it because they gave up a late goal to make it 3-2. And it would have been 2-2 without Mika's goal. So, yeah, you understand. And once again, another learning experience. And there's a balance, right? There's a balance between being aggressive and then trying to sit on the clock and push the puck around and make sure that you keep it away from the opponent as the time runs down. And there's a balance, right? There's a balance with how you do that. And unfortunately for them, when they were fooling around, unquote, quote, unquote, with the puck late, it was in their own zone. And they couldn't get it out consistently. See, that's the concern. That's what you can't do. Right? You want, you want to play in Tampa's end so that not only can't Tampa have, can't, that not only that Tampa can't put the pucks on the net right in your zone, but they can't pull their goaltender either. So that's what you want in that situation. You want it in Tampa's end so that you get the clock down and they get frustrated because there's nothing they can do. Here's Coach Gallant on the final two minutes of game two at the Garden. No, they weren't going to quit. It was 3-1, and you know we were playing pretty good hockey up to that last 10 minutes. When we made it 3-1, we played a great game, and after that they took it to us and they stepped their game up, and Chesky made some great saves to keep that win, obviously. Now... I watched Adam Fox on um, ESPN on his postgame. He made some great points when he was talking with Scott Van Pelt. And obviously, Ranger fans, you know, there were a lot of folks who were like, Tampa's going to wipe the floor. They're not beating Tampa. Tampa's not losing. And once again, the series is not over. But for you, for the Rangers to be up to nothing, you would have thought that the Rangers were going to be down 0-2 and going to Tampa just trying to hold on to not get swept. That's not been the case. This team has been a surviving team. This team is a confident team. And Adam Fox says they haven't let the outside noise bother them at all. We'll hear from Fox in a second. But that's been the difference in this team, right? That's been how they've learned. That's been the fact of rallying together. And that's that's especially what happens, guys, when you're on the road. And that's you can imagine what... The, the noise has been like in Tampa, right? The noise has been, oh, well, this is, Rangers are not going to do, we got to be here, yeah, all this other stuff. No. You can't let that outside noise discourage you. You can't let them bother you. And here's the thing. When you're on the road, what, what, what did one player tell me? You pull the rope tighter, it's just you and your teammates, you're on the road, that's, that's all you got. And so the out, outside noise didn't affect them in the first two games. They can't let it affect them while they're in Tampa. Right, Adam Fox? You know, we heard all year that wasn't really going to have playoff success. And we've said it all year, the belief in the room is high. And, you know, the outside opinions isn't really affecting anyone. You know, like you said, coming down from down 3-1, down 2 nothing, And, you know, this team obviously had a good playoff streak of not losing back-to-back games. But, you know, that's not really in our minds when we're coming to the games. We're not thinking about what streaks teams have or how they've done earlier. It's right now. And, 
you know, we're just trying to bring it day in and day out. And the guys in those room believe in each other. And yeah, I don't think the, the outside noise or any uh, perceptions of our team really affects our uh, mindset going into the games. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Everybody's been talking about the kid line. I think we should uh, rename it the young veteran line because that's how they've played in the postseason. Here's Adam Fox on his crew. You know, we said from the start, it's going to take everyone. You know, you can't win with one or two guys, you know, every night because, you know, that's not going to happen. And those guys have, have really stepped up and produced. And for them to, like I said, be gaining confidence and producing as well, it's it's huge for us. And we have a lot of faith when they're on the ice. And, you know, they're really skilled players, but they're committing to doing the little things. And, and they're playing real hard. And it's obviously, uh, you know, good for our team as well. It is. And that's the team that's really scored. And now you're seeing some of that. Uh, transcend onto the other lines. And so this is going to be a fabulous game. I'm looking forward to it. I think the Rangers steal a win early. I think they steal a win this afternoon and in, in a close game. This is going to be more physical from Tampa. This is going to be uh, – they're going to attack the net a little bit more. They're going to be more aggressive. The Rangers have to hold on to that opening period. Once again, they have to look and expect a veteran Tampa Bay team to come out on fire because they know the Lightning, they cannot lose this game.